Hey, good morning, Life Church. Thank you so much for joining with us as we continue our series, The Ferocious Fight for Satisfaction. Um, just want to remind everyone the groups have started. Uh, they are available. You can go to the website and get registered. Um, you'll hear from group leaders uh, if you do that. And if you have already registered for a group but you haven't heard, we, uh, as I said before, had some technical difficulties. But those have all been remedied. So um, please sign up again or reach out to us in any way that you can. We'll make sure that you get in a group because uh, it's vital. Getting into small groups are always important. But I want to just challenge you. It's even more important in this season of separation and quarantine. You know, God still has growth and community for us, and, and we can still relate with one another. Yeah, all the groups are virtual, but I myself, this first week as we've gotten into it, have been surprised at how much good it has done in my soul to get in a group with some someone, meet new people, talk about the Bible and, and what this walk is like with Jesus and share with one another. So I just want to challenge everyone, encourage you. Uh, I know it's hard. Our rhythms are off. Our schedules are different. But make time, create space to get into a group. Amen? Uh, so you can go to the website and get registered for that. Um, just a, a thought about our um, coronavirus uh, quarantine and circumstance. Just want to lend some words to everybody today that I think will resonate just don't let your weariness overtake your wisdom. Don't let your weariness overtake your wisdom. If you're anything like me, you are more than ready for this all to be over. For us to start finding this new normal everyone is talking about. I mean, we know we're not going to the way that it was, but let's get to that new normal and kind of figure it out. Are you with me? And the reality is, as if a worldwide pandemic wasn't overwhelming enough, we get caught up in taking sides on whose plan is better than that plan for reopening and all the plans and all the phases, this state and that state. I know that I'm tired and I'm sure you are as well. Weary is the word that comes to mind. And just as an illustration, when I'm tired, I don't always make the best decisions. When my wife and I are having a conversation late at night, I'm not always on the top of my game. When it's been a long day at work, are you with me, parents? I know I don't always have the right attitude towards my kids. So be careful. Don't let your weariness overtake your wisdom. Church, continue to be thoughtful. Continue to be careful. Continue to be prayerful as you consider your effect on others in this season. Amen. We love you. We miss you. We're looking forward to gathering with you when we can. We are constantly looking at ways and means for us to be the church and, and invest in church and build relationships. So uh, continue to pray for us as we have conversations, the elder team, staff team, and uh, we reached out to local government officials and some other uh, resources that we have really across the country and, and across the globe. Um, so we are... Um, we just cover your prayers as we lean into this together. All right, now turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 20. The words of Paul speaking to the church of Philippi, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in a partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. We thank you for the technology that affords us this opportunity to continue to grow as a church, as a faith community. We lift up Williamsburg, the greater James City County area. Father, this region, uh, our world, we ask for healing. We ask for hope. God, we lift up our president, the task forces, all those who are in decision-making positions, all those on the front lines, the doctors, the nurses, the healthcare workers, the food supply chain, uh, everything that is involved and are putting themselves out there. Father, we ask for protection. We ask for safety. And we ask for this pandemic to end. We thank you that Jesus has a name over every other name. And so we just exalt you. We take you as you are, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we ask for you to manifest your presence in very real ways. Bring healing to our world. Help us, God. We just simply pray, help us. And we love you. We honor you. We just give you these moments and ask that as we open up the word of God, you would just mold us and shape us and make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen and amen. You know, this is a familiar passage of scripture, Philippians chapter four, and there are a lot of moving parts. Uh, The reality is there are a lot of moving parts to all the passages of scripture, especially when you're speaking to something that Paul has written because he doesn't do anything shallow. But there are some really shiny, eye-catching parts. The discussion of going from low to abounding, uh, the promise of any and every. Anytime there's a word of secret, right? I've learned the secret, Paul says. We want to know the secret, don't we, church? (laughs) Uh, The interplay of plenty and hunger, abundance and need, that I can do all things we, we reach for that, don't we? we? We are caught and enticed by those words and invitations. While all of that is intriguing, the passage itself really plays itself off of just three simple words. In the very beginning, I read verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Need, learned, and content. That word need, Paul uses as really a starting point. It's his base. With the place of arrival and the landing pad, future footing is found in being content. So those would be the two ends of our spectrum in terms of a a journey. Need and content. The bridge from one to the other is learning, and it's to that bridge I want to specifically speak today as we unpack this ferocious fight for satisfaction. Because church, contentment isn't ever going to just walk through that door. Satisfaction will never be something you stumble on. We have to wade into some pretty deep waters, choose to lean into contrary winds, and, and, and fight for it if we want it. And that's another thing, or maybe it's the thing for you. You don't need to wade into anything. 
You don't need to lean into something that's contrary. You don't have to fight this fight. You, you can allow whatever rolls your way to just roll you and move you, shape you, letting that space that we spoke to last week within you, letting that just conduct you. I know it sounds like I'm leaning to one side of this thing because I am. I do think the fight is worth it, but it's not mandatory. And it's not just that I think it's a good idea. Make no mistake about it. God accepts and understands our starting space that we all have, that hysteresis, the fact that we have space within us, even placed there by God himself, that begs need and and has a hungry want. But that space will rule us if we give it the chance. And really, it, it does so as a default. And God understands that. God understands our starting point. And God absolutely elevates contentment and seemingly fosters the fight for us to lean into that. This autocarsis, the satisfaction and contentment, is not fighting against or fighting at, but rather it's fighting for. Remember, it means to ward off by defending. I love the fact that Paul is honest in saying learning is necessary to not just accept esteresis and refuse being subservient to it, but to land at contentment, not to stay in that place where the begging need and hungry wants are leading us. This learning, church, isn't accomplished only by hearing information, but learning by doing, hands-on. Full disclosure, and I think you all have picked up on this over the years, is I will quote books and we work hard to put some finances aside and really uh, endorse reading and, and give books out to the church from time to time, regardless of the season. Full disclosure, though, um, I, I read a lot of books to learn and to inform myself. I have a whole shelf filled with, filled with books, um, how to be a better husband, how to be a good dad. But can I be honest with you that learning to be a good husband and learning to be a better dad, and that's just one frame of my life, is not just done through acquiring information, but it's about learning. It's about leaning into. It's about trying things, falling short, apologizing, and working, inviting Holy Spirit. It's about experiential learning. Learning as God offers it. Because as God introduces us to learning, it's not ever meant to be just a mental ascent only. God's kind of learning looks like not having to do what you've always done, uh, not living the way you've lived previously, walking into a future that is in no way, shape, or form dictated by your past. And Paul writes to this end in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Other versions would say compels us. And just to speak on that word for a moment, because I think that we kind of can think in our minds as if God is saying we are going to become puppets. He, He pulls the strings and he actually uses us. But that word really means to constrain or preoccupy, like we're being boxed in, like God is giving us a choice of an avenue to walk down. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Come on, church. There's a line in the sand drawing moment that we regard no one, ourselves included, 
ourselves included, we regard no one according to just the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The, the ferocious fight for satisfaction, church, starts with yourself. If you're taking notes this morning, that's the title of our conversation. Satisfaction, the fight starts with yourself. I, I say that neither because it's a figment of your imagination, nor because you alone are the problem. That There are plenty of outside offenders to our satisfaction that will get our attention in the coming weeks. Things like our environments, things like individuals around us or our egos or egos that we are in. But we can't land in a situation felt externally without dealing first with the struggle internally. Let me say that again. We can't land in a situation that we feel externally without dealing first with the struggle internally. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 12. He says that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We need to present our flesh. Yes, our bodies and our soul structures are absolutely part of of this equation, but it, that transformation takes place in the mind. He says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh, again, we're seeing the flesh is not absent, but it's not the whole thing. And it's really not even the place where things are taking place. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. Now, I just pause before I go any further. Strongholds. This is where we kind of get into the nitty gritty, right? God is saying through the pen of Paul, flesh is involved, but flesh is not where we have to really fight this thing out. And here are the strongholds. And I don't know about you, but when I, I read that word, I, I kind of lick my chops. I'm like, okay, here's the fight. Give me the truth, Paul. Give me, give me the insight, the, the stronghold. All right, here we go. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Wait a minute. Are you telling me the fight and, and the strongholds are in arguments, opinions? He carries on and says, take every thought captive. To obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We see this working out in real time, even in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, the creation of mankind, the creation of all creation. But in the fall of man, and the first time we see sin, the law first mentioned would communicate to us that anytime we see something in the scriptures for the first time, not only is it uh, educational and inspirational because it's the first time we're seeing something, but it carries a greater depth and weight for every other occurrence of that thing. So this is the first time that we see sin in all of humanity, in all of creation. Chapter three of Genesis Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman and the serpent go on to have a conversation. Sometimes 
we have this expectation that the attack or the undermining to our destiny is going to be this grandiose darkness that overwhelms us. What the enemy does with Eve in the first time we see sin enter the world and what I would propose to you today, church, that where sin enters into our world or invites us to follow it, to step away from Jesus and follow this missing the mark reality of sin is not in a overwhelming darkness. It's not in this just cataclysmic thing taking place. The serpent sows a thought. He says, did God really say that? Church, just think about that for a minute. The enemy doesn't combat us with all of these bells and whistles and rockets and flares and big things and promises. He just sows a small little thought. And of course, we know that that one little thought gives birth to an activity, the choice of sin, of going their own way, Adam and Eve. And Eve eats the fruit and gives it to Adam and Adam eats the fruit. And they all of a sudden realize that they are naked and they are ashamed. And for the first time, mankind feels shame and they go and they hide. In verse eight of chapter three of Genesis, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God is not asking this question because he doesn't know where Adam is. He's asking this question so that Adam realizes where he is. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? He's asking, who sowed that thought? Who told you that thing? We see it when the proverbial kitchen sink gets thrown at us. Those big things, those cataclysmic rockets and flares that I just described. Can I be honest with you? That's not usually what gets us. What catches us is the little thought that sets in our mind too long, which ends up taking root and bearing destructive fruit in our lives. Like it says in Song of Songs, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. In John chapter 10, the words of Jesus really pulling back the curtain on the tools and the wiles of the devil and the, and the way the world can just gnaw at his destiny for us. He says that the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. When you read a passage like that, when I was first coming to the faith, I would read a passage like that. And I did read that passage and think, man, steal, kill, and destroy. For sure, I'm going to feel that right? I'm going to know when something gets ripped out of my clutches. I'm going to know when something is coming to take me out and kill me, when something's going to utterly destroy me. But the original language does not mean that something is going to be ripped from our hands or we're going to be beaten and killed and our whole world is going to fall apart and explode and there's going to be a massive destruction. It actually means those three words that we will be casually taken away from where we should be. Here's the thing, church. Our fight for satisfaction doesn't start with achieving or acquiring anything out there. It starts with ourselves. 
And more specifically, our thinking, it starts with our thinking as that is the fertile soil of all our creativity and all our purposes producing the fruit that is our lives. So I want to give us three practical frames when you're talking about the ferocious fight for satisfaction and that it starts with ourselves. Okay, Christoph, what are we supposed to do with that? First, know what you're thinking about. Know what you're thinking about. Now that might seem shallow. It might seem crazy. And, and hopefully it is shallow because you're already leaning into that. But here's the thing. You can't correct and adjust what you don't corral and own. We have to name what we're thinking or we will be mercilessly run here, there, and everywhere by our thoughts. I've never had a physical trainer, but I've seen other people have physical trainers and they make them do things that are crazy. Are you with me, church? I mean, they make them throw things that they shouldn't be throwing. They make them pick up things they shouldn't be picking up. They're running this way and that way. And I I ran intervals yesterday. Those are the worst things that are known to mankind. You just run for a while, but you run really fast and then normal and then really fast and then normal. These are tools of physical trainers. They make us do things that we normally wouldn't do to make us better. Unrelenting, unnamed thoughts will do much the same thing. They'll make us pick up things that we shouldn't pick up. They'll make us throw away things that we shouldn't throw. They'll make us run here, there, and everywhere. They will break us down and more pointedly, keep us busy, remove from where we really should and could be. Church, the first frame that we can lean into in engaging the fight that starts with ourselves is know the thoughts that you're thinking. Know the thoughts that you're thinking. Secondly, control what you're thinking about. Control what you're thinking about. Say no to pathways of imagination, emotions, and thinking that harm you and hinder you. Change the channel of your thinking. At the Fahrenbach House, we have YouTube TV and you can organize the channels however you like. The first like seven channels at the Fahrenbach Home are things that I don't want to watch. They're things that Jude wants to watch and Asa and Zoe, they like to turn the TV on and they're the first six or seven channels that are there. I don't turn the TV on, get tired after changing the channel once or twice and then give up. But often, just to be perfectly honest, that's how I treat my thoughts. If a thought comes to my mind, I'll change the channel once, but if it comes back again, I feel like maybe I have to honor that thought or something weird, like I have to entertain it. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to keep that thought. Church, hear me. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to keep that thought. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, New Living Translation. I just want to read this and, and then exhort us on it in particular. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes for our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, Christoph, why did you read that? 
James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. You can go back and read it on your own. That was the New Living Translation. I read that because I, if you're anything like me, I'll start to have a thought. And because I have a thought, not of my own creation, maybe something triggers, maybe I, I see an image, maybe somebody says something and I'm like handed this thought. Because I have the thought, I feel like I have to entertain it and I feel like I have to follow it. And if it's an unhealthy thought, if it's a destructive thought, honestly, I feel bad. I feel shame at that interaction and I think, ah. Oh, I'm here anyway, why don't I just lean into it more? And the reality is, I give up. But just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to entertain the thought. And it doesn't mean that you've gone off the rails. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, James writes, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to sin. Just because something enters your mind doesn't mean you need to give into it. It doesn't mean that you've faltered beyond repair and you have to give up. Jesus is the lover of your soul and he gives us opportunities to step away, to step away, to say no, to change the channel. Proverbs chapter seven is a great illustration of that. As the simple man goes out and he has numerous opportunities to turn away. It's not as if this woman is just unflinchingly coming towards him. He makes numerous decisions not to be redeemed, not to step away from the sinful interaction. We have to be a people who control what we're thinking about. And finally, if we want the satisfaction that God invites us to, we have to learn to direct what we're thinking about. So we have to know what we're thinking. We have to control what we're thinking. Learn to say no. But thirdly, and perhaps most productively, we have to learn to direct what we're thinking about. The best defense is a good offense. You know, at the end of Ace's basketball season this year, they would employ this offensive set. They would be up by five or seven or 10 points. And rather than continuing to play the game and run their offensive system, they would set up a wide uh, format and then just begin to dribble and pass, dribble and pass. At Ace's age, they don't have a shot clock. So as long as you have the ball, guess what? The other team will never score. I'm not suggesting that you waste time doing nothing or flit your days away. I'm encouraging you to direct your thoughts because just as Ace's basketball team played offense with this spread set, they weren't trying to play better defense. They didn't need to play defense because they had control of the ball. I'm encouraging you to direct your thoughts. Just as the scriptures direct us, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Direct your thoughts, church. It's amazing how little arguments and confrontations and conflicts can drag you down between a spouse and you. But when you are committed to serving and finding every opportunity to love and bless your spouse, there isn't any room left to have conflicts and confrontations, arguments that will drag you all down. Direct what you're thinking about. And so church, I just want to challenge you. Let's learn this week. Let's 
move somewhere on the spectrum from that hungry need towards the satisfaction. Let's hands-on really learn. Get, get our hands around our thoughts instead of letting our thoughts run away with our hands, hearts, and everything else. Don't be discouraged when this hurts. Just beginning to try and know what you're thinking about is legitimately exhausting. Give yourself some time and space to grow in this and learn. Church, I just want to repeat those three things again because they're critical. The ferocious fight for satisfaction is not directed at something out there first. It has to first be invested in who we are. The fight starts with ourselves. Know the thoughts that you're thinking, church. Control what you're thinking about. And what I mean by that is learn to step away from them. Be okay with saying no and shutting a thought down. And you might have to shut it down more than seven times. That's okay. Keep shutting it down. Keep changing the channel. And finally, direct what you're thinking about. Take opportunities. Fill the space of your thoughts with opportunities to bless, to try and creatively serve others. It's amazing how little time is left to sin, how little time is left to be argumentative or confrontational or destructive if you are aiming at and trying to serve and bless others. Hey, we love you all so much and I'm praying for you. And we are, we're so looking forward to the day that we can gather together again in the same room. In the meantime, please go to the church website, get registered in a group. We love to lean into the growth and community that God has for us. And let me leave you all with a benediction. May we be learners, disciples of Jesus, following him into new ways of relating to our thinking. May we engage this ferocious fight for satisfaction, starting with ourselves. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. Hey, we love you guys so much. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll be in touch.